So before I share what I want to share, what the Lord's laid on my heart, I want to ask you, what do you remember? Where have you seen Him work? Where have you seen His signs and wonders in your lives? So this morning as we gather, obviously there's things that I want to share with you. But I want to pause this morning and ask us to remember. I want us to pause and ask us, Father, I remember your works, and then fill in the blank. God, I saw you do, fill in the blank. God, you rescued me, fill in the blank. So this morning as we get started, Father, you have been my shelter, somebody fill in the blank. You're my shelter when? Somebody fill in the blank. Time of a storm. Somebody else. Always. Always. Okay. Somebody else. When it didn't make sense. When it didn't make sense. Time of need. Say again. Time of need. Yeah. Our time of need. You're our loss. What else? You're my shelter when? When I needed you the most. When I need you the most. Medical emergency. Where have you seen God's signs and wonders in your life? That's huge for us this morning. Because you all gather at church. We kind of go through the routine. Well, you know, I did my Sunday to-do list. Boom, there it was. But if you and I don't pause to remember, then we don't pass that on to to our little people. We don't pause to remember the miracles that God has done in our lives. It's just the religion. I don't know about you, but I don't like to fly. I remember a time in my life we were flying from Africa. um, So you're in a 12-hour airplane seat from Johannesburg, South Africa, all the way back up to London. I didn't realize that an airplane can be struck by lightning and not explode. But our airplane got hammered by lightning, and I thought it was over. How does lightning hit wings, fuel, and then you just keep on flying? doesn't blow up in the air. Our airplane did not blow up in the air. I'll never forget that. And so this morning as I think about that, that I know it's, what's normal. It's, it's what we want to do. We want to come and sing about God's love. And we get that just special comfort in our soul because if we're all honest... There's a deep longing in our heart to be loved by somebody. For somebody to say, hey, you are valuable. Hey, you are worth something. But it, the, what, what naturally happens is we become apathetic. We get busy. Life gets going on. Circumstances come our way. And we don't stop and say, wait a minute, God, what are you still doing? Most of the time I find myself wrapped up in the whole thing. God, it's just not fair. It doesn't make sense. God, would you please make sense of this? I want to make sense of this. And God doesn't do that for us. So this morning, I, I think often about the different influences in your life. I think about the things that the world is saying, okay, this is true. This is where your life will go. Or maybe another word for influence is, what is, what is the world using to shape and mold you as a person? And there's so many different things that come our way, week after week, month after month. And so if we're not careful, we allow the influence of the world 
actually shape how we live our lives. So instead of being reminded that we are loved, we're trying to succeed. Instead of, of the, being reminded that we are valued, we're looking for the things of this world to give us value. Instead of pausing our lives in the middle of the storm and say, wait a minute, God designed this storm. God said, hey, I want to do this to get your attention. I want to do this so you will pause and say, wait a minute, I need help today. I can't fix this. And if it makes sense to us, or if we can control it, or if we understand it, then we don't need God. And so this morning I, I come to a, a book, and I've, you know, I've went through kind of some of the Old Testament stuff, and now I want to just spend a little time in the book of Matthew. I've also learned recently that if I spend more than five or six weeks on something, people get bored and distracted. So I'm not going to go through all the, every chapter of Matthew right here in a row, but I'm going to take the next couple of weeks to do the first couple chapters of Matthew. And I want us to look at the book of Matthew together as a family, kind of a chapter at a time, and then we're going to go to the Psalms, and then we'll come back. But I just want to give us some, some time in the book of Matthew. In saying that, you're going to have a tendency as you open up your Bible to allow the world to inter- in, interpret the Bible for you. Don't do that. Don't allow the influences of the things that are going on around us or society to say, okay, this is what the Word of God says. That's not what we want to do. So this morning as we come to the book of Matthew, you need to remind yourself that Matthew was written to a Jewish believers. It wasn't written for us to open up and say, oh yeah, this, is, this all makes sense to us because we're not Jewish. It's not going to make sense to us. It was written also to prove that, that God had a plan and that He had promised the Messiah and that Messiah was going to be Jesus. And as you go through the book of Matthew, you're going to see Matthew put him out there. Here he is. Here's the Messiah. This is the Messiah. This is the Messiah. And then you're going to have the Jews say, no, we don't want this guy. We don't want that Messiah. So they're going to reject Jesus. Because what they ultimately wanted was for Jesus to come in to Jerusalem, kick out the Romans and say, listen, I'm in charge, hit the road. This is the way it's going to be. And that's not what God had planned. God had planned to send a servant leader that was going to rescue people from their sins, not conquer a people group. And so as you look at the book of Matthew, we're going to start out in chapter 1. And we're going to look at the first 17 verses. And so if you look at the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1, you get a wonderful word that most of you don't like. It's called genealogies. You get a list of names that most of us, if we had to read them, we're going to mispronounce most of them. But Matthew wanted the Jewish people to see those ones that said, you know what, we call ourselves Bible people. He wanted to give them a specific line of individuals that went all the way back to Abraham to show and to remind them, yes, this Jesus is their Messiah. And what I thought was really interesting this week as I was looking through the list, most of you, if you have, if you have subtitles in your Bible, you have the genealogy of Jesus. What I think, what I put in my Bible is there is the word called grace. Because most of us haven't taken the time to go back and remind ourselves of the individuals that are in this list. Oh, it's great for the Jews to know that, yeah, Jesus goes all the way back to, to Abraham, and that's very important. But I've reminded myself of individuals in this list. I've been thinking about Abraham. 
As I thought about Abraham, I was thinking about just interesting things. If you go to Genesis, we don't, don't flip there, I'm just going to give you some references. Genesis chapter 12, 11 through 19, Abraham did not have great faith, and he lied about his wife. He said, nope, that's my sister. He was in fear of his life. In Genesis chapter 20, 1 to 18, there's a lack of trust in God in Abraham's life. He says, you know what, nope, that's my sister. Twice, this one that we talk about faith, twice in front of pagan kings, he called his wife his sister. If you go on, you find another individual, David. Most of us know David was a man after what? God's own heart, right? Yeah, but he was a murderer. He was an adulteress. And so in the line of our Savior, a Jewish boy whose name is David, that is an incredible picture to you and to me sitting in this building today, a picture of God's grace. As you read on a little bit farther, you find another individual in this list. His name is Solomon. You find this individual that had incredible wisdom. But you find this individual in 1 Kings chapter 11, 1 through 18, that the kingdom that God allowed this individual who had more wealth, more wisdom, more knowledge, more stuff than anybody ever had and ever walked the face of this earth. God said, I want to divide your kingdom because you didn't follow my plan. And you married lots of different women. And most of his women that he married were from pagan that served pagan God. He said, that's okay, God. You gave me wisdom and I can handle all this. I got this all together, God. You gave me a warning, but I didn't think it was worth it. So God, I'm going to do it my way. And then you read in 1 Kings chapter 11 that God divided the kingdom. Also, I found something else that was very interesting is some women in this genealogy. What I find very interesting in this genealogy as you think about the women, these are not Jewish women. These are Gentile women. So as Matthew is writing to these Jewish believers, he's saying, hey guys, this Messiah is not just for you. It's for the Gentiles as well. You are not going to keep this Messiah in your box, in your rules, in your regulations, because this Messiah is a Messiah of grace. And so you read about Tamar. If you go back to Genesis chapter 38, you find out that God had taken her husband and her older brother because of their wickedness. You find this guy by the name of Judah that's going to take in this widow into his home. And he's promised this widow his third son. If you read on farther, you, you realize that Judah fails to keep his promise. So this Tamar had a plan because she had no child. So she had a plan. She dressed up like a prostitute. She tricked this guy by the name of Judah, who was supposed to be taking care of him. She tricked him. She had, she had sex with him, and she had two twin boys. It's in the line of our Messiah. Her name is Tamar. As you keep on reading through the genealogies, you find this individual by the name of Ruth. You find this very interesting about Ruth. She was married to a Moabite. If you have some time, you like to do some study, go back and I will not read what Lot did in public because we have small people sitting here. It's a disgrace. 
But that's the line that Ruth comes from. Her, that's her, her lineage. She's a Moabite. You can, find, um, you can find out about her life if you read about Lot and his daughters. But what I find interesting is that, that her husband was a Jew. Her husband dies. And this woman that's a Moabite says, you know what? Naomi, I want to go home with you. I want to go back to the Jewish way. I want to go back to your God. Interesting that this Moabite woman is going to go back to a Jewish culture. She's going to say, I believe in your God. But what I find even more amazing to me is is knowing that if she makes this choice, this is going to cost her. This is not going to be easy. There's going to be extreme ridicule. She's going to have to work harder than any other woman because she's coming back to a Jewish area. They're not going to help her. They're not going to be willing. She's going to be an outcast, disgraced. She's not married. She's useless. And she's a Moabite. But she says, you know what? I will choose your God. And I will go back to your lane. And then you get the book of Ruth. And you get a chance to read about this Moabite that decides, you know what, God, I'm going to have to provide food. And Naomi's not going to eat unless I go do something. So she says, okay, God, I'll go glean in the fields. I'll be the one that's laughed at. I'll be one that's going to be pushed over to the farthest side of the field where there's going to be the least amount of grain because I'm a Moabite. But it don't matter, God, because I believe in you and I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to follow you, God. So whatever happens, isn't God fascinating where God says, well, by the way, I'll just send an individual to show up at that field. He's going to own the field. He will be Ruth's kinsman redeemer. He will be the one that says, I choose you. And that's what God did. And so I could spend a lot of more time going through the genealogy, and I think it would be neat for you to go back and spend some time looking at the names that are on the list and remind yourself of God's grace for you. Remind ourselves that there's not one of us in this room that is not willing or worthy or have the opportunity to say, okay, God, I want to receive your grace. I accept it. Because, you know what's true? There's not one of us in this room that's not a sinner. And all of us in this room need God's grace. Oh, God's love is wonderful, but you need God's grace. You need God's mercy. And the only way you're going to get that is if you accept it. Say, hey, I receive this. The other thing that I love about the beginning of of Matthew is the next part. I love this, the next 18 through, through 25. Most of us do not read 18 to 25 unless we're around the Christmas story. We pull it out then and say, oh yeah, this is wonderful. Yeah, this is the right time of the year to read it. But I've been thinking about 18 through 25. And I've been thinking about it from a different perspective. Oh, it's wonderful to to read through and you can see the birth of Christ. And he's going to be born of Mary. And she's going to be a virgin. And that's unbelievable. And I I can't comprehend all that. But I've been thinking about what it was like for... For Mary to go to her father and say, okay, Dad, I need to talk to you. I need to have a conversation with you. Dad, I'm going to have a baby. This is what God has planned for me. Excuse me, Mary. Um, 
we've never had that ever happen before in history, and so I don't know really what you're talking about, but that makes no sense. I know, Dad, but God came to me, and the Holy Spirit put something inside of me, and it's a baby. Dad, I'm going to follow God's plan. I don't know how her dad responded. I don't know what the neighbors said. I don't know what her friend said. And then you got this other guy. His name's Joseph. He's a righteous guy. That's what the text says. He doesn't want to disgrace her publicly, so he's just going to put her away. To God, you know, I, God, I, I've trusted you in my life, and I, I love Mary, and I'm, you know, planning to marry her. But God, she's pregnant right now, and I'm on nothing to do with it. And then an angel shows up. Said Joseph, don't do that, because God has a plan. You know what I've come to grasp this week? It's part of that plan is for God to be with me and you today. Pause your mind and think about it. Don't just think about the Christmas story. Don't just think about Mary and Joseph and the baby born in a manger, which is where we normally go. Stop and think that the creator of heaven and earth said, Hey, this is my plan. And my plan is for Mary to have a baby be born in a manger, and his name is Jesus. He's going to be the one that forgives our sins. Hallelujah. That's wonderful. But more than that, he is Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. God's with us today. So the beginning as you open up Matthew chapter 1, there's this genealogy of God's grace. The other part of Matthew chapter 1, 18 and on, is a picture of God saying, Hey, I want to be involved with you. I want to walk where you walk. I want to come to the battles that you face. I want to come to the crossroads of your life. And then this is what he offers. As you think about Mary and Joseph, I thought about God. What is it for God to be with me? And I realized where we are time-wise. And so I just want to I'll share these things with you. Psalm chapter 7, 1, 1 and 2. God is a place of refuge. The next one, Exodus chapter 15, 1 through 3. I love Exodus 15, 1 through 3. It talks about the Lord as a warrior. It talks about the nation of Israel singing a song about horse and rider being thrown into the sea. And that God was their warrior. Now how, does, how is he going to demonstrate that to the nation of Israel? How is he going to get those people to understand that their God is a God that's a warrior? And how is he going to do it? He's going to take them to the Red Sea. And there's going to be this big old cloud of dust coming after him. And they're going to say, God, what have you done? You just let us out here to die? What kind of God are you? No, no, no. I'm a God that wants to show you that I'm a warrior. But I've got to bring you to a place in your life that you can do nothing about it. So he took them to the Red Sea. They're not going anywhere. They don't have boats. They don't have a bridge. They don't have life jackets. They're stuck. Why? Because he wanted us to look back on a passage in Exodus chapter 15 and remind ourselves that your God is a warrior this morning. Not just the God that was born in a manger. As you read on a little bit farther, as I think about God, I think about Joshua. I love the Joshua and the battle of Jericho. One of the 
one of my stories I remember as a kid. But as I was thinking about this morning and, and as I was playing and I was, I was reading in my devotions yesterday. And I was just thinking about this whole thing with Jericho and Joshua and the nation of Israel. You got this ragtag army. They're not warriors. And now God's going to bring them where? He's going to bring them to Jericho. Where there's a wall that you can race chariots around them. On the top of the wall. And he's going to bring this misfit of an army and said, Hey, I want you to go to Jericho. I want you to take that city. No dynamite. No sniper rifles. Nothing. God brought him to a place of vulnerability. He said, This is the wall. And God asked him to do something even more crazy. If you're any military strategist, you don't walk around the uh, uh, wall with your army. And you all know the story. You remember it as kids. But you, have you ever thought about that God was saying, Hey, wait a minute, Israel, get right here. I want to get your attention. I want to demonstrate my power to you. So come stand next to these walls. So as I was reading my devotions yesterday... Joshua, chapter 6, 1 through 7. It's, it's never hopeless, and you're never helpless if Emmanuel has invaded your life with his grace, his glory, and his grace. You're never alone. As they walked around Jericho, God was confronting Israel with their inability, vulnerability, dependency, and comforting them with the reality that He would be with them wherever they went and whatever they faced. If you're God's child this morning, you too must remember who you are and what you've been given. It's never you against the world because your life has been invaded by grace and glory of Emmanuel. So say no to fear and live with hope and courage that can only come when you remember that the Lord is near. One last thing that I was thinking about as God, as Emmanuel, I was thinking about David and Goliath, Exodus chapter 17, realizing that all of us in this room have giants that need to be slain. But you're not the giant slave. Emmanuel, God with us, is the giant slave. And so this morning as you sit in this group as a family, and you just begin with Matthew chapter 1, just peel just a little bit of the layers back, I want to remind you that you serve a gracious God. I want to remind you that none of us deserve His grace or His mercy or His love. 
But he chose to just give it to us. Here it is. He just laid it down. And he just didn't lay it down so you could have forgiveness and fire insurance. That wasn't his plan. He laid it down so that God would be with you wherever you went. So when the Red Sea of your life happens, or the giant shows up in your world, you can just say, hey, God's with you. Help. God, will you help me? The opportunity for you to go a lot of different ways today. One thing that I didn't tell you that I thought was very interesting this morning. It took place and none of you would probably ever know it. We have a missionary stand in front of us. Matt left there's a lot of things that Matt could have said. I thought it was interesting. There's one thing that he didn't say. Matt has colon cancer. In the midst of his battle for the gospel and building buildings, he's in another battle called colon cancer. And every other week, he has chemo treatments. He didn't ask us to pray for that. He asked us to pray that God would provide the financial need. He asked us to pray that God would provide opportunities for them to build buildings. Not just to build a building so they can go around and say, yeah, check out our portfolio. Yeah, we build $50 million worth of buildings or $35 million worth of buildings. We've done this, 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 and this. You know what you want? A building so somebody can hear the gospel. That's what God's called them to do. So this morning, I don't know what your purpose statement is. I don't know what your sentence would be. I don't know what you value in life. I can't write it out to you. But I'll leave you with this one verse. It comes from my friend Arden Gilmore. Him and I were texting this morning. And he texts me this verse. I wrote down the wrong verse. Um, to take heart, for I've overcome the world. Greater is he who is in you than he is in That's who's within us today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to gather as a family. So as we gather as a family, your word is in front of us. And now we have an opportunity to, to leave the way that we came in or to leave changed. You know what, Father? There's only one person that can help us in that area of our life, and that's you, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, those who need comforting, would you comfort them today? Those who need encouragement, would you encourage them? Those who need hope, would you be their hope? So as you leave this place, there's doors. I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know what you're going to do. But my prayer is for those of us who know Jesus personally, that we would know him in a new, fresh way. Our hearts would be encouraged about his grace, and our hearts would be overflowing because he is with us today, no matter what we face.
So help us, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.